Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, writer of the awesome new daughter record, Lydia Loveless, is on the show today. And we will be talking about all sorts of stuff from her early career in her band with her family to her solo stuff and more. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is from my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do. And Tristan will get the message to me and we can make stuff happen and we can go from there. You know, and that and that that can happen. If you want to get to me more directly, you can find me. Oh, I'm in trouble with words. You know, it's really late at night. Mom made like eight tea, so you know, I'm flying over here. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on various forms of social media at Left Fort Damien. If you want to support the podcast, the best way of supporting the podcast is by just telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you listen to this thing. But if you also want to support it more directly, you can head over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk. There's a Patreon page where we do footnotes and and other stuff. Chris O'Toole and I, uh, we got some plans. Anyway, head over there and check it out when you can. Uh, also, huge shout out, uh, speaking of support, to the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do, just don't do it out of your own pocket anymore. And uh, they have been supporting the show and allowing me to uh, you know keep the lights on over here. Um, which has been great. So thank you very much to them for that. Uh, you can also uh, write a review and subscribe to it on iTunes. Thank you everyone for those five-star reviews. And uh, I really appreciate that. That's it. Uh, I'm recording today from the brand new Turned Out of Punk Studios, which is the basement of uh, where I live. <laughs> My eldest Holden has taken over the old... Uh, the old room, he needed his own room. You know, him and his three brothers living in a room, that was a recipe for disaster. So he's got his own room, and now Turn Out of Punk has its own space down here, and we'll be doing a little bit more, I don't know, video stuff, and, and uh, you know, um, I don't know. I've got all my records and books kind of all together around me now, and I feel kind of inspired, you know? I'm not saying I got like a Joe Coleman setup or anything, but I got, I got some cool stuff that would be fun to do videos for. Anyway, that's... Coming up real soon. So uh, thank you, everyone, for, uh, you know, uh, the support in this podcast, you know, and seeing it through. Because I feel like, you know, all these years later, we're almost a real podcast, you know. I talk to podcasters. They, they talk about recording in studios. They they talk about recording, uh, you know, in, in different places. But, you know, we're influenced by uh, Cole Cabana over here. We got the studio apartment. Now it's the studio basement. But, uh feels like I'm in a record store or, or, a, or, a, or a fanzine store. You know, it feels pretty fun down here. Anyway, I'll be showing that to you in the near future. On to today's show. Today on the show, Lydia Loveless, a incredible songwriter, performer, singer, musician who has put out um, a number of solo records now. But her brand new one, Daughter, is self-released and it's fantastic. I love this record. I've been listening to it lots and, uh, yeah, she's someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a while. And unfortunately the night that we're supposed to do this, I was plagued by technological difficulties, um, for, 
for a long time, but she she bore with me and we were still able to record a bit of an episode. And spoiler, she'll be back for a part two at some point uh, down the line. But uh, it, it was amazing to get a chance to talk to her because she's someone who kind of grew up in punk, you know, and uh, obviously now the music she does, you know, isn't like exploited punk or anything like that, but it is 100% informed by punk rock. And I think that really uh, comes across. So check out her brand new record, Daughter. It is on her Honey, You're Gonna Be Late Records. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic album. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This is good. This is like a, a punchy episode, so I'll keep this intro nice and punchy. Uh, here is Lydia Loveless on Turned Out a Punk. Lydia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off here, I'm a big fan of your music, and you have unfortunately had to put up with all of my technological nightmares I've been dealing with lately. So uh, once again, publicly now on the air, thank you for bearing with the struggles with the Mac that I've been dealing with lately. It's 2020 shit. Exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's like in, in other years, I could probably like complain about this a lot more, but in 2020, it's like, dude, it's a Mac. Yeah, issue. Feel, Get over it. Yeah. I feel like I'm living in like a... <laughs> A future sci-fi movie, but from the nineties. Yeah, yeah, and not the good. Yeah, it's not like the Star Trek Four where they save the whales. It's like one of the ones where they got to fight like all the evil alien type things. Yeah. Um, but I got to start this off before we get to the evil aliens uh, with the way they all start off, which is Lydia. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, that's tough to really answer. Like. Cause my parents were into music and I guess it depends on like what kind of punk. I mean, my mom listened to the clash when I was a kid. So that was probably like my first real introduction to listening to it as music. But I feel like I was always aware of it as like a style and attitude and stuff too. Um, so I read that your dad book shows too, right? Yeah. That was when I was like eight, nine, ten. My dad did have a bar. But we we were in like the country and that was like lots of like local cover bands and stuff. It it feels like, you know, they must have been really immersed in music because once again, the clash, like, you know, now in the present day, a lot more sort of a mainstream band. But at that point, it's still kind of like a deep cut. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I remember my mom would turn off like straight to hell because it was talked about going to hell or something. <laughs> but she was just always kind of like a, she's a fairly straight laced lady, but uh, she did listen to a lot of like i mean she listened to the velvet underground i learned about them from her and like lou reed um so yeah she had some interesting musical interests and so what were what was the stuff you were gravitating to first that you remember like you know other than like hearing the clash and this sort of stuff like what kind of music were you drawn to out of the stuff that they were playing um i mean there was so much different shit in the house like my dad liked a little more new wavy stuff like the talking heads and the vapors but like the romantics which i think are pretty punk probably absolutely. Not really, but yeah. yeah no absolutely well they got those two <laughs> self-release seven inches before they jumped to the major so they're even DIY. right <laughs> yeah and just that super poppy like tight sound was always appealing to me and so, like, where were you, like, listening to the music at this point? Was it mainly they had through their record collection, or were you watching MTV, or did you have MTV? It's kind of, there's kind of, like, several 
phases to my childhood. There was one phase where my parents were like super religious and involved in this super fucking annoying church and we weren't allowed to watch MTV, but me and my sisters would watch it anyway and like turn off the channel when somebody walked in or whatever. So there was a little bit of that. And I guess that would have been in like the post grunge era because I was really little. And um, so that kind of stuff. But my parents also had, my dad had like speakers in the living room and like, you know, would tie one on and play records or whatever. And also just like living in the country, there were lots of like long drives. So in the car, my parents would play stuff or if you were brave, you would be like, I think this band's cool and like play something. But <laughs> I know, I know the, that kind of burden of having parents that like sort of contemporary music where you're like trying to bring stuff to them and they're just like batting it down. <laughs> yeah. What's this crap? Yeah. So were you, were they playing music? Like, like actually like playing instruments in the house too? Yeah. My dad, I mean, my dad's a drummer, so he had like usually a drum set set up and then we had a piano and, um, my oldest sister played guitar. So there were lots of instruments around the house. So how old were you when you really started kind of playing other than just kind of, I guess, fooling around on that stuff? Right. Um, I mean, I would have been like 13 when I started playing, like, I mean, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, but I was a really bad student. And like, I think my teacher hated me cause I like never practiced <laughs> and, uh, which I still probably don't practice enough, but, um, I guess I would have been like 13 when I joined my first band, which would have been my sister's band, Carson Drew. My two sisters started that band and they were like, we need a bass player and uh, you could probably learn how to play. So <laughs> you have to do it. So were they already doing the band before? Yeah, they would, they would work on songs together. And I was like, I think I was way too young to like actually have any grasp of songwriting. So I was kind of outside of that. Like usually like if I played with my sisters when I was younger, it'd be to like write a joke song or something, <laughs> but they never really like, <laughs> and deservedly. So I was sort of left out of the like jam sessions. But once, once I got the bass, I, I was off from there pretty much. And what, what did that band sound like? Cause you know, obviously you're super young and you're saying you're not have a huge involvement mm -hmm. in the songwriting process, but what was the sound from your best recollection? It was like, it was poppy, you know, like probably like Blondie was a huge influence and um, just sort of the synth pop stuff because my sister Jessica plays piano and then my sister Eleanor played guitar and they would sort of trade off songwriting, but it was pretty like old timey, new wavy, poppy stuff. That sounds awesome. Did you guys record? Yeah. Yeah, and everyone's always like, "Oh, you guys sound like the Shags." I'm like, "I think we were better than that." But... <laughs> it's not a compliment when, like, you're... yeah, yeah. I thought like recently, my manager was like, "You should release that stuff," and I was like, "I don't want to get any part of that." Like, if my sisters want to do that, they can, but it could be interesting. Well, yeah. Do you feel like that was your band, or are you just like almost too young that you're just kind of like? You know, obviously, I do. Like, I feel like it was formative, but it wasn't like my band. Like, I didn't write anything. So, did you play out with the band? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did relatively short, like regional tours, and played local shows a lot. 
So how were you getting gigs for, oh, obviously you're once again super young. How was the band getting gigs that you were playing with? <laughs> well, like my dad played the drums in the band. So that's how I was able to like jump through all the hoops that would allow me into a bar. And I would be <laughs> like, I'm 18, as you can see. But like, <laughs> I just kind of stayed out of the way and I was super shy and had no interest in like socializing. So it was pretty easy for me usually to kind of be under the radar, but occasionally not. Uh, what was it like what was the circuit you were on like were there other bands that you'd be playing with kind of consistently or is it like just your own shows or it, there was a mixture i mean we did some pretty corny shows sometimes where it was like what you could get um especially like since we were like young girls i think people were kind of like who the fuck is this bullshit but like eventually we had sort of band buddies and it was kind of like the punk scene and the sort of indie rock scene so many bands that I have forgotten their names because I'm old, apparently. But, like, there were a couple of punk bands that we would play with fairly regularly. So was this, like, in, like, where where was this in Ohio at this point? That would be in Columbus. Oh, so, so okay. Oh, totally. So was mm-hmm. it, like, psychedelic horse shit and, like, those types of bands? Yeah, I don't think we ever played with them, but I remember them being around for sure. Like in similar it's, bars. It's an amazing scene. Yeah, there are lots of cool bands. I wish I had like known more what I was doing and like cared more. But I was also like really shy and once again like dial up internet and like <laughs> yeah. way too young to actually go to shows other than if I'm playing. So it was interesting. Well, it also I remember at the time like you know uh, playing in the band that I played in like going on tour. Like there was almost like Columbus was having like a mini moment where like you know Times New Viking was signed, psychedelic horse mm-hmm. shit. There was a uh, there were like like maybe half a dozen bands that kind of had Eat Skull. I think is from Columbus too, and had like Buzz. Where that I don't know if you I don't know I'm, I'm I don't know I don't know that one. Up. But uh, but it just felt like there was like uh, you know the next Seattle kind of murmurs at that time about yeah. that scene. Yeah, I think there's. I think it's a pretty rich scene for like that punk pop indie vibe for mm-hmm. sure. And I, th- I think Ohio doesn't get enough credit, you know, really is like the birthplace of, of like punk new wave, like, like all of it, it kind of comes from that state. Yeah. It, it is a good, good state for music. Well, so how long did that band go? And did you put out any records? Like any of these recordings ever come out back then? Yeah, we had, a. Um... We had one record that we sort of self-released, which was like at that time it would have been like burning CDs and selling them or giving them away. But like that was our record release, really. It was extremely self-released. But yeah, we did have one record. So was the first concert you went to playing these gigs or did you go to any shows, um, you know, at the bar your dad booked or his bar before that? Yeah, I mean, I would have been there occasionally, but like... I was so young then that it was like, I don't know. I didn't go to a lot of shows. I mean, my mom would take us to see, (laughs) I saw good Charlotte, like a whole hell of a lot when I was a teenager, but um, (laughs) my first show was like Bob Dylan with my mom. So we did some cool stuff. That's a pretty awesome first show. Yeah. Uh, So was good Charlotte your mom's choice or that your choice later on? That was me. Okay. I was going to be like, wow, she really kept up with contemporary music. (laughs) No, my mom, my mom was always into that stuff. So she would go and like have a good time. But yeah. Yeah. There's also like at those shows, cause you know, obviously such a young fan base for a lot of these bands. It's almost like there's like a, 
a parent's lounge at the back, it feels like. Yeah, it was funny. I went to see, um, a couple of years ago, I went to, went to see Sorority Noise and like everyone there was so young and I was like having a panic attack. So I went to the bar and ended up like talking to all these old parents and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I've gone full fucking circle. Like, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a surreal moment when you find yourself on like, oh, this is too loud for me as like a, a dividing <laughs> line. <laughs> Uh, like so, what what was the first band that you kind of saw that you know you were really taken with? Like that, that you were like, this is this is kind of like what I want to be doing more of. Like in in concert or just in general? Just in general, even yeah. I mean, I remember seeing, and this has nothing to do with, I guess, the kind of music that ultimately I've ended up playing. But I remember seeing something corporate and being like super blown away by that, and just wanting to be like, oh, I want to be like a performer. I mean, I had always wanted to be a performer, but. I just remember that really solidifying it, that it would be an amazing job. Totally nothing to do with what I play, but mm-hmm. <laughs> performance-wise, I remember it being really cool. No, I totally get that. Yeah, it, it just, uh, it's almost like, yeah, like like you're saying, like, you know, you're, you've been exposed to music so much, so young, that it's just, what was the thing that actually lit the fire? Yeah. I mean, basically just everything. This <laughs> <laughs> really was a lot of stuff. Like, I wasn't, really interested in anything else like ever so and where were you picking up music and hearing bands back then by the, by like the time you're getting into stuff on your own? <laughs> i mean by the time i was getting into stuff on my own like there was a record store in columbus that i would go to a lot called evil empire and the dude that owned that place was like really good at like recommending stuff and and sort of being engaging in a way that i felt like other record stores were a little more terrifying for someone like me <laughs> so i would go there and and do that and like my siblings were always really good at pirating music and I was like terrible at it. So I couldn't even like really figure out how to like illegally download shit to get into stuff. Like, I feel like most people my age are like, yeah, I had so many fucking burn CDs and I was just like, I suck at this. And I was like, I'm going to go to prison or whatever. So I just really was bad at it. But if I could find like used records, that was more, you know, economical for me. Oh, totally. Was that sort of Evil Empire? Did it sell like T-shirts too? Yeah. And, and like, mm-hmm. uh, like, it, like, like almost like a head shoppy type thing as well. Uh, no. Okay, I'm thinking of a different <laughs> I think story. That might have been. Um, I think that would be. Uh, what the hell is that? Magnolia Thunder Pussy. That would be probably that place. There's a lot of record stores in Columbus at uh, uh, this time. I don't know how yeah. many survived. But... There's actually still like more than three which is pretty weird mm-hmm. i guess for a town like that yeah well it's always had that like i guess i must be because of the university but it's always had like you know pretty substantial music scenes at different points throughout music history even yeah it's definitely musical like definitely a lot of places you can buy records i feel like there's getting to be fewer venues but yeah yeah i think i think especially now even it's it's just yeah uh, yeah, like where where do you play? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> your living room. Yeah, 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 in front of a Zoom call that you got to figure out how to record. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was the like first DIY show you remember going to, or lo- or like sort of more independent show? Like you know, I guess the ones you were playing even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of the first shows we ever played. I think it might have been my first show ever was with the Carbonas. I don't know if you remember. Oh that band. yeah, an unbelievable band. <laughs> that was like our first show so 
that was pretty cool. And there was like this band that I was super into mostly because I was like trying to get the drummer to be in love with me, even though I was like 15, but they were called the feelers. I was super into them, but yeah. I don't remember them as much, but no, that the Carbonas were yeah, yeah, fantastic band. Um, we, we played with them one time on a bridge in Austin and our (laughs) guitar player was very tired and pouty and (laughs) they were livid. They were so mad at them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so what, like after that band kind of ends, do you do another project before you start doing stuff on your own? No, pretty much like right after that, I ended up finally starting to write my own songs and like find my voice, which it took me a long time before I was actually playing shows. I probably like was doing open mics and stuff, but I kind of started picking up shows that like normally someone would have asked Carson Drew to play maybe was how I got started with that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. made it a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, what was, did you sing on stage uh, before that? No, no, I only had ever played bass. So it was, it was pretty different. Yeah. It must've been a, 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 a kind of a hurdle to get over. I can imagine. Yeah, it was definitely a lot scarier than I would have expected it to be from what I can remember. Like, cause again, super socially awkward kid. So I don't know. I think I tried to do the whole, like I'll be as obnoxious and rude as possible thing to make up for it for a long time, which is like painful to think about now. But I think that was my way of dealing with it. (laughs) And so how long after you started kind of, you know, writing your own stuff, was it before uh, the only man was came out um i know the only man came out like way after like i had written those songs so i think i was like 19 when it came out but um i started writing that record when i was 15 just the recording process was so long because i was like a kid i didn't have any money and like the dude that was sort of in charge of like funding it would like fall off the face of the earth like people do sometimes and like so it just kind of took a few years to patch it all together and what were kind of the, some of the groups you were playing with when you started playing your own shows? Like, were you once again sort of falling into sort of that same scene, as you mentioned before, were you, were you starting to play with other artists that were doing similar things to what you're doing or, or just different things even? Yeah. I mean, I remember playing with a lot more country acts, but like, I also feel like everyone ends up with a country side project. So I think there were probably like people who had had other bands, but now it was like a country side project. Like, <laughs> One of the first tours I ever did was with my friend who was like in this electro pop band. And then he started playing like country stuff on the side. And we did a tour as that. And it was like kind of weird because it was like electro pop kids would come out and be there. So I don't know. <laughs> it was interesting. Were they into it or were they bummed out expecting le- electro pop? I think it was definitely less successful than our former <laughs> projects, ultimately. But yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, what were, uh, you know, some of the bands that you were playing with on those early tours or some of the artists you were playing with, I should say, on, the, on those early tours that you you felt like, you know, that you were gravitating towards or you felt like this could be part of the same scene that you're part of? Or Yeah, lots of smaller acts. Like, I was friends with and, like, a huge fan of and I would play with him a lot but Achilles Green from Dayton who was just like a super like country country hillbilly act like three piece with an upright bass and stuff and I played with him a lot and that was cool I'm trying to rack my brain for like 
band names at this point, but I would kind of play like any show that I could get. There was a band called like 500 Miles to Memphis that I really liked that I would play with. They're out of Cincinnati. Um, yeah, nothing like huge at that time when I was starting out. Into those early tours, like how, how long was it before you started feeling like you kind of were building your, your fan base up? Um, it probably wasn't until I was like 20 and like finally got a manager and like, like I had people that would listen to me, but it was such a small thing that I was doing. I was like burning CDs and mailing them to people because mm-hmm. they found me on MySpace and stuff. So it was like very much, um, kind of a, whatever I could get thing. And then getting a manager helped me like figure out how to book shows. And I would like go to New York and play like three shows in a row and try to do stuff like that instead of just like playing in Columbus and Cincinnati, like all the time, you know? Well, it just, it also feels like, I don't know, just cause I've only ever tried punk rock, like punk rock's just so mm-hmm. much easier to kind of get stuff going in because it's got like a built-in network that you just kind of tap into, which I'm sure, you know. Yeah. And it's like, people are excited and like want to do stuff. But when I was a kid trying to do like a super country act with also Mm. like being a 17 year old girl that probably no one wanted to fuck with, like no matter what I did or how many demos I had prepared, it would be like, we don't want some acoustic girl, you know, like nobody (laughs) wanted to hear that. So it was probably a little more difficult, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it just feels like it's like you're saying, like it's, it's, it's like a much harder slog to kind of kind of find your way and especially something like country music which just feels like it is such an institutionalized genre yeah you know i don't know very much about it but just from the outside looking in yeah and i feel like things have gotten a lot more open because now i feel like a lot more people play country and alt country nowadays Mm -hmm. and are kind of less find it less embarrassing and hokey so it's definitely come a long way yeah like it definitely feels like it's uh like it's something that has changed, like, you know, once again, from the outside perspective, but like in the last few years, like there's been, you know, a groundswell of, of, of different things kind of coming and, and showing up in the charts. And it just, mm-hmm. what was like the shows you're playing on those early days? Are you playing in kind of like that alt country scene or are you trying, or is it more like getting thrown into sort of like a more straightforward <laughs> kind of country world? Yeah, I got thrown into a lot of that. And I feel like back then everyone was so like, I'm an outlaw and I sing about killing people or whatever. So yeah. it was like very much the like obnoxious style of things, which is, I mean, kind of what I was doing anyway. So, and at that point I was just like, my dad was playing drums and I was playing acoustic guitar for like a pretty long time until I was like 19 and finally started to put together an actual full band. So, and so with that 19, is that when the, um, the um, indestructible machine comes out. Yeah, I think that came out when I was like twenty. So that was my second one, and like, yeah, by that time I had like Ben and Todd were in the band. Who Todd's still in the band. He's the sole survivor. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need that ride or die person in the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it also feels like there must have been like massive changes even in the scene you're playing in in that time too. Like it feels like there's like a changing of guard from like that Sunvolt kind of era of mm-hmm. of that scene to like like a, a new era, like your era. Yeah. 
was there resistance to that? Do you think like in the fan base, like do you, do you encounter people that were like traditionalists to like catalog stuff or is it the same way as it is in like punk rock and indie rock like that? Yeah, it's kind of the same. I mean, there's a few people that are like, keep it pure or whatever, but I don't know. <laughs> Some people are getting very old now. And they can't go out anymore. <laughs> So what is what were some of the country artists that you know you first started listening to as a as a young person? When I was younger, I mean like we kind of grew up in the house with like Loretta Lynn was a big deal and like Dolly Parton and uh the Outlaws like Waylon Jennings and we listened to Johnny Cash and stuff. So that was, I was already pretty well versed in like the old-timey stuff. So when I was a teenager, I I would listen to stuff more like Tank 3 that was like I don't know, the whole angry, pissed off sort of mel- melding of punk and mm-hmm. country thing. What about bands like the Blasters and, and X and stuff like that? Was that like, were your parents listening to that stuff? or No, and I, I kind of wish I had more like youthful knowledge of those bands. But like, I still, I didn't really listen to bands like that until I met Todd because he loves that stuff. So that was how I got introduced to that. So when I was like 19, 20, a little bit older. Well, and it also still feels like it, music at that time was so much more regional than it is now. Like, yeah, you, you know, I think I think we had a we had well, you know, you know, the horseshoe in Toronto. So we had a <laughs> a real outpost for that kind of music here, where everyone, uh, like the people that booked that, like, were just all about no depression stuff all right. the way through. And so I think that's why that stuff got popular here. But apart from that, it just feels like it. You know, it's only now that we can kind of experience the breadth of music for free. At, at yeah, and I. I think also just the way I am now is like, I was so like white knuckling it to like get a career or like start taking off so I could like consider myself a musician. And I was so like focused on myself. So I feel like sometimes I try to remember like, what did I experience and enjoy other than just like staring at the wheel and driving as fast as I could (laughs) to be a musician or whatever. In that early kind of come up type thing, what were, what was the, like least uh appropriate booking in terms of like sound with another band that you had to play because like you, <laughs> you I imagine you had to play a lot of like industry type things too no I mean I I really did like South by Southwest and that was kind of it which was where I ended up meeting my future label anyway so I don't know I didn't I didn't really do a lot of industry stuff but or not even industry necessarily, but just like, you know, because you're, 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 as you're saying, you're playing three shows a day sometimes in New York. Right. right. So like, mm-hmm. were, was it ever times where you're like, we're, I'm playing with a grind artist today? Or is there any sort of. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember playing with a couple noise bands <laughs> yeah. and like having no concept of what noise was. And I was like, oh, when's this guy going to like start the show? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like, oh, this is a cool vibe that he's setting. Like stuff like that was definitely weird. And that was more when I was like doing like DIY tours with my friends in the sudden passion, the guy that used to be the electro pop artist. But um, yeah, we would just kind of play not even house shows, but those weird venues that are like a man with a building that he owns and like kids hang out in it. I don't know. It's like weird venues that are (laughs) creepy. But um, yeah, I think noise bands were that happened a couple of times and that was always like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, well, like you're talking about like the disappearance of venues, like the, you know, obviously youth culture will survive and kids will find the weirdest places to put on shows, but 
sometimes the lack of safety in some of these venues is, <laughs> is, is very <laughs> apparent when you walk in. Yeah. <laughs> um, you toured with one of the, the greatest rock and roll bands ever, but also I can imagine one of the more intense bands to tour with ever, the Super Suckers. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> across Canada, too. Oh um, my God. Which I, I imagine was also probably, depending on what time of year, kind of a harrowing thing just dealing with that. But uh, what was that tour like? That was crazy. I was just talking to my boyfriend about it the other day because he was like, Canada's so much more civilized than we are. And I started laughing. I was like, you haven't toured across all of Canada, dude. Like that place is fucking weird in some places. But yeah, yeah, it was a crazy tour because like on the coasts, everyone was like, oh man, you've been, you've seen it all, man. Tell us about Canada. And I was like, you're Canadian. Like I didn't realize like so few people had driven across it. But I mean, I remember it being like super grueling because there were a couple drives that were just like almost impossible to make and like lots of sleeping at, at campsites and stuff. But it was such a strange and interesting tour. And like the super suckers guitar player ended up playing with us because our guitar player had a DUI and couldn't get into the country. So he just like kind of filled in for the whole tour basically. Oh, wow. That's, um, and he just, he just passed away recently, I believe. Right. Oh really? A member of the Super Circuit just passed away. I don't. I don't want. Oh, I don't wow. want the Same guy, but someone. Uh, I guess I missed that. Like last week or something. So. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, like they were actually. I think they were banned from Canada because of parking tickets for. Oh wow. Like fifteen years themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> I think they were bragging about it even on. Yeah. On like music television, I remember watching as a little kid, and then. Did not get to see them for a number of years. I think before that tour that you did with them, but like it was still like a very long time for them to come in. Yeah, that's funny. How did the documentary uh, movie kind of come about? Um, I'm like a huge fan of the replacement, so I know Gorman had done like a documentary on the replacements and um. I think he just sort of started to find my music through like, if you like the replacements type things, because I guess my fandom has sort of worn off on my actual songwriting. So I always get kind of lumped in with, um, with them musically. And I think that's how he ended up discovering my music and like came to a show and was like, do you want to do a documentary? And I was like, sure. I don't have anything else going for me right now. <laughs> What is it like going through that? Because I, I I can't imagine being in the process of of, of just being in a band and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and open and knowing that it's going to be documented. Yeah, like that. It was. I mean, it was fairly painless. There were a few times when you know someone's in a bad mood and you're screaming at each other and you're like, "Please don't make this documentary the real world or something." Like, <laughs> yeah. Plus, like I was married to my bassist for a long time and that was kind of going really south. Um, so that was like, how do I put on a nice face for this camera and like not be really fucking sad about my life right mm-hmm. now? So. Well, it's like a job in itself. And then you're also working on an album, you know? Yeah. And, and like doing that stuff, which is, is, mm-hmm. you know, like just a whole other mental process. Right. And it, I think what was lucky about that is that no one really, acted like they were in the studio when we were doing that. Cause that was my biggest fear. I was like, I really don't want like 
being filmed to affect how my record turns out, you know? Yeah. Which luckily it didn't. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's uh, that all that. I think that's the thing in science. I remember from high school is that like when you observe something that changes the results and like, yeah. (laughs) So I was like really terrified because there's always someone that will be like, I'd love to come in the studio today while you guys record. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Sorry. (laughs) So it was kind of amazing that I allowed that to be filmed. Yeah, like that's that's a, like a huge amount of trust to have with someone. Like, was there like a, a built? Like, obviously, you're excited to have a documentary done, especially by mm-hmm. someone that, you know as accomplished. But like at the same time, was there like a a buildup of trust before you were prepared to let someone in like that? No, I think it was just more that like I was I had already agreed to it, so <laughs> I wasn't gonna let it like ruin my yeah um, attitude or or adjust how I was recording. So I think I just was like, well, I'm already in this situation. So that's kind of how I get through everything, though. And then I'm like, wow, I don't even really remember that experience because I must have just been really blasting through. But yeah. Uh, Did you ever play shows with your sister's other bands, The Girls or or Dead Girlfriend? Yeah, we did. Well, I was in Dead Girlfriends. Oh, you were? For a little while. So, yeah. And then The Girls did like a couple three day runs with us. What what is it like, kind of you know, you know, being you know not only ex bandmates at this point, but like being able to like having played with siblings, you know, and 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 all of you kind of doing different stuff musically. Hmm. I mean, I it's interesting. I just I think we've all got. I mean, not vastly different styles. I think all of our musical interests sort of align. But mm-hmm. um, I was actually just listening to the girls' record last night, which is weird, but. I just forgot about how like solid pop it is like, and I don't know. It's kind of uh cool when you can have someone like open for you that you're related to and have a good time. You could do a fest. You do like, <laughs> <laughs> like we did a... do that once. Really? Like, Cause my little brother was in a death metal band for a long time and, or maybe they're death metal. I don't know. I don't know shit about metal, but, um, (laughs) so we did like all of our respective bands in one day and it was pretty fun. Did you do a reunion of the first band? No, we didn't. I think everyone wanted us to, and we were just like, yeah, no. (laughs) And in a bloodbath, (laughs) there's something about playing music with your siblings. That's like disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to that. And so (laughs) did you, I guess like did that, sorry. And I keep, fucking up of name but like did that first band have a like kind of a substantial local following or like a bit of a local following uh i mean it it was never really like huge um which is probably a lot of why we ended up disbanding um because we would get like certain like loyal friends but we or fans rather but we never um really super took off yeah, like it's amazing though how those things wind up becoming legendary after a while. You know? mm-hmm. But the way you described it, also like if it's a band that can be uh, mistaken for the Shags, but better than the Shags playing wise, <laughs> but also doing Blondie sounding stuff and and, yeah. and like with heavy new wave keyboards, like I I, I got to hear this record. <laughs> I'm sure I can find some of the tracks somewhere. Oh, but. well, I, you know, I, I'm not pressuring you to, into that reissue <laughs> at all, but you know, I, I think I agree with your manager that maybe this should come out. Yeah. But then you have to play together again. So it's almost like you're dooming yeah. yourself to that. One day. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> 
What's it like kind of, what was, how has your approach changed with this record versus all your other records prior to, cause you're on a, a new label and it, it feels like it's a, you know, a bit mm-hmm. of a, a fresh start, but you know, once again, just yeah. looking from the outside. Yeah. It feels great. Cause like it's my own label. So nothing really, I mean, everything matters, but I'm way more relaxed, which I expected to be a lot more stressed out, but I'm not. And with the record, I feel like I, I just kind of allowed myself to be a lot more experimental. Like I, you know, my ex had left the band and we kind of didn't have a bass player. So I ended up like playing bass on some songs and like, I feel like it was a lot more experimental that way Mm -hmm. as opposed to going in with like this huge plan that had to be followed. And I don't know it felt a lot more fun and joyous in the studio. Uh, so like, yeah, like I guess it does affect your approach, right? Like it's, it's just, uh, it, it, there's no one else kind of looking over the, not that the labels mm-hmm. look over the shoulder, but. Right. Yeah. Mostly like, and at that point I didn't really know when I was recording that I was going to self-release. So I was a little bit terrified about like making it something palatable to labels, which I guess I failed at, but <laughs> that's okay. Cause I feel like, I just feel a lot more excited about it because I'm releasing it myself and I don't know, it feels like fully my project. So I have to like be diligent and do a good job, but I don't know. I guess we'll see when like reviews start coming out and shit, then I can have my meltdown, but right now it feels good. Well, it's, it's such a, like, like, um, you know, it's like you're completely in control of the means of production as well as, the creative output on it right like so right. everything becomes an artistic statement at this point yeah which feels good instead of like soul sucking so do you ever want to try other types of genres or experiment like that like or go back and try more new wave stuff again yeah i would love to like be in someone else's band but anytime i'm like hey i want to be in a band someone's like yeah you should write all the songs i'm <laughs> yeah, like no 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 not like that like i'll <laughs> I'll contribute, but like, I don't want to be the main songwriter. I just want to like play bass and keyboards. Well, I think that's a problem. You come in at it with such a skill set that people are kind of like uh, intimidated. <laughs> I can imagine at that point, like, yeah, you should yeah. probably handle this. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my plan too, for like, God knows how long we'll be stuck in fuck off land. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to spend a lot more time just writing different things and digging into songwriting. Of course I haven't done that at all, but. Yeah, it's 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 very hard to kind of get creatively motivated when, you know, the I, the end result is always to tour or to play a show, and it's right that at the end of the rainbow, it's kind of like yeah, but yeah, yeah, and I'm trying to let go of that whole attitude since I'll probably be a lot happier if I do, but yeah, it is weird to just make music with no end goal in mind, which kind of makes me sound like an asshole, but it is weird times for sure. Yeah, well, it's it's especially because it's been, it's been the life for so long, like <laughs> for for musicians. Yeah, like it's a it's a anyway. <laughs> now it's getting yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> sorry about strange. this. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, sorry to take it down such a dark path. No, I did. I was the one that led us here. I'm really sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> Let's go back to talking about Good Charlotte. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Mess. Safer there. Um, it, it, Lydia, this has been awesome. And anytime you want to come back on the show for a part two, you're, the door is always open. Awesome. Yeah. Hopefully I have more of a life story 
next time in the future. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, she will be back for a part two at some point in the future. Uh, and and check out Daughter. Check out her new album, Daughter. And, uh, and, and speaking of future, next week on the show, we got another great songwriter. We got, we got one of my favorite songwriters ever coming to the show. Also, uh, kind of the Bo Jackson. I know I've called several people over the years on this podcast, Bo Jackson. But, you know, for someone who's done it at the highest level creatively in both the music world and the wrestling world, you don't get any higher than one Mr. Bob Mould. Bob Mould will be coming to the show next week, and it is a fun conversation. Yes, we talk a little wrestling. Not a lot, though. Don't worry. But we do talk a whole ton of punk and uh, Bob's a friend of mine uh, and someone I've been, you know, kind of aching to have here on the podcast. And I was texting with um, you know, Bob's bandmate and friend of the show, John Worcester. And I'm like, I finally did it. Bob's going to be coming on the show. And he's like, didn't, didn't you have Bob on the show already at some point? And it's like, nope. No, that was just me punishing him backstage about wrestling. Uh, actually, it was on a, a shuttle bus. Um, <laughs> we talk about it, I think, on the show next week. Anyway, that is coming up next week on the show. Oh, I'm amped for you to hear that. It's a, it's a doozy. And Bob, Bob's a legend. Bob's a legend. I can't believe it's taking this long for him to come on the show. Really can't. All right, well, that's it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of the indigenous people matter. Go out there and get yourself informed right now. Uh, you know, show up, uh, donate money if you can, uh, just, just, you know, get involved, sign petitions, read, uh, as much as you can get involved because it's a real pivotal time in, in history all over the world. And you want to make sure you're on the right side of that, you know, looking back on things. Uh, also go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Start a zine, start a band right now. It's kind of difficult, I guess, but you can do stuff from your, your house, you know, your place, wherever you are. And, uh, it'll help you, you know, it'll help to kind of express yourself and, and, and put yourself out there, you know, not, maybe you don't do it to everyone. The world can be a vicious place. The comment section, you know, just, just disable comments. That's the other tip I'll give you. <laughs> Always just don't look at the comments. Uh, you know, take the comments from your friends. You know, take, take criticism, but anyway, just don't look at the comments. That's, that's good advice. Uh, and, uh, uh, sign your organ donor cards. Cause by the time they come for those organs, you're not going to need them. You're not. Uh, and, and that's it. Thank you very much, everyone. And I will see you next week on the show.